It's the second hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. You can reach out to us on the phone at 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com or text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. And welcome back. Hour number two of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We've had a busy show today as we do our Monday morning quarterback show here with, of course, a longtime columnist. Lauren Tate is here alongside as well. And we've talked to Illini great Dave Downey along the way. Of course, Dave was part of the Illinois team that played the 1963 Loyola Ramblers in the Mideast final up in East Lansing, Michigan. And uh, Loyola went on to win that particular uh, ball game and would go on to win the national championship. The Ramblers have been the story of the NCAA tournament this year. And so we talked about that a little bit. Talked to uh, Southern Illinois play-by-play man Mike Reese, who's been down in Carbondale for about four decades. And he had a front-row seat in the Valley for Loyola. And pleased to have had him on as well. And also a privilege today to have uh, Tim Brando, longtime uh, announcer, of course, play-by-play, CBS, ESPN, now with Fox Sports. And uh, I think one of the signature voices in uh, college athletics as well and uh, other sports to boot but uh, tim great to have you on today thank you so much for coming on happy to be with you brian and uh, certainly enjoyed seeing you through the course of the big 10 season and uh, look forward to you know, who knows maybe getting your way to come football season this coming fall well we'll look forward to that and uh, talk about your trips to illinois i know you had not been back in the assembly hall slash state farm center for for quite a while, uh, your impressions and uh, overall, I guess, of Brad Underwood and where he's headed. Loved it. You know, really enjoyed it. The first game, uh, the game with Iowa was during the time in which the uh, students were out, so the the building wasn't as uh, as uh, loud as it would normally be. The, the decibel meter wasn't what I remembered it back in the 80s when I came in with, uh, with ESPN during the great Ludo period with Bardo and all those great players that he had surrounding him on that team. Um, but but the, the second game, when they played Michigan State, um, I thought, you know, that was that, that it was high-flying, and it was uh, a lot of fun. And I felt the same way when Purdue came in. You know, I, I had three visits, so it was, um, it was great. And I know that Brad Underwood, what he's building, is going to be very special. There's no doubt about that in my mind. It's not a question of if, it's, a, it's just when. You know, from a recruiting standpoint, for him and what he does, and their style of play uh, is just—you uh, know—they they dictate pace of play. It's uh, it's very similar to to press Virginia. You know what Hugs does, and uh, a little bit like too. I think half court principles are very similar to what Texas Tech does. So he just needs to get, as they say in the business, uh, the guy, he needs to get his dudes in there. You know, once he gets his dudes. Uh, Illinois will be fine. Tim Brando with us for a few minutes here on Monday Morning Quarterbacks. And Tim, let me ask you, as you know, you were in the middle of it. Uh, college basketball took some hits this year. There's no doubt about that. But this tournament kind of reminds us of why you and me and others are in this business and why we love college basketball, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I don't think any of us that uh, that cover the sport regularly, you know, through the course of the regular season, didn't see this coming. I think we all expected mayhem in March and that there is an 11 seed that made it to the final four, which has happened before. It's happened three other times. Um, is not terribly surprising to us. It, it could have been, we might've seen even more 
multiple double-digit seeds go a little bit deeper. We were very close to it. But at the same time, uh, I think that in, in a lot of ways, maybe what we should take away from this is um, there, there, there's a lot to love, even though there's a lot of concern. And we've got major problems that need to be addressed and need to be repaired. It's going to take, uh, I think, a lot of uh, reasonably intelligent people uh, thinking maybe outside the box a little bit to come up with some determinations on what to be done. I, I thought what the Big East Commissioner Val Ackerman suggested uh, through their recommendations is is noteworthy. Uh, and as for the popularity of the sport, let me point out, and this has been somewhat under the radar, but Fox's college basketball ratings for the regular season were up almost 30%. And a lot of that was due, obviously, to the addition of the Big Ten, but that should tell people something. There is interest in the regular season of college basketball, especially in the stronghold of college basketball areas, uh, that being the, the Sun Belt region in the mid midsection of the country and certainly in the Big Ten where the audience is particularly loyal. So, uh, you know, these are people that are predicting the death and destruction of college basketball are out of their minds. Tim, this is Lauren Tate. Uh, I thought that Purdue's demise was excusable because of what happened with Haas. Explain to me what happened to Michigan State. I mean, this was a team that trailed Northwestern by 28 that had ups and downs during the season. I thought this was extremely talented, but something was wrong with that team. Explain it. Guard play had been uh, a little better in the second half of the season. I thought Winston had uh, improved, but that was always the concern, I think. Mm -hmm. With Michigan State, uh, the inability to get, as, like for instance, if you watch yesterday, how uh, Villanova uh, moves the ball, how Dawson gets such great dribble penetration to create open shots. You know, he sometimes could drive the ball through the lane almost to the baseline, back out, and then suddenly find an open three-point shoot. Um, Michigan State could not get that kind of dribble penetration from its guards. Right. And as a result, I think they never really got that, that kind of space uh, for, for open jump shots. Uh, most of their shots were contested. They had more difficulty with, you know, the Syracuse zone than certainly Kansas had with the Duke zone, by example. And I think that's a byproduct of, uh, you know, not having great guard play. As great as Michigan State's front line was, and it was exceedingly athletic, I'll point back to the game at Illinois. 25 turnovers they had in that game. That's right. Uh, and most most of them were in the first half. And Illinois, even though uh, they gave up a lot of open dunks and they gave up a lot of, uh, uh, because of their pressure, that's going to happen, they stayed in that game. They were never completely knocked out of that game until about the last 90 seconds because you thought, well, they could still cause uh, some turnovers. So Michigan State's uh, only issue this year was its suspect guard play, and I thought in the tournament uh, it showed up yet again. Now, explain Jaron Jackson. He was 0 for 4 in that final game for uh, for Michigan State, and I, I saw him against Illinois where I thought he was a superman. I've seen him other games where he just seemed to be kind of quiet, and um, where does he wind up in the draft uh, after that? Well, well the, think about this. This is, again, the peril of the one and done. All right, and all of these coaches that have uh, future lottery picks, or let's just say one and done players, they can't push the same buttons that they did years ago. 
I mean, they, they can't. Even when, for instance, Draymond Green was at Michigan State, uh, Draymond was not destined to be a first-rounder. He went in the second round and was a late bloomer and made it. Uh, how many times did uh, late in, in the last nine minutes, how many shots yesterday did Marvin Bagley get? Did you, did you keep up with that in, in the game for Duke? He had one shot in the last nine minutes of that game. Now, you tell me who the best player on the floor is for Coach K. It's Marvin Bagley. Yes. And he not, not only did he not get uh, looks, he didn't work hard to get them. So what you're dealing with with the one-and-done player is a guy that once he gets to the tournament, and I'm not saying they're bad kids. Don't get me wrong. All right? I'm, I'm not saying that. In a lot of ways, the one-and-done is not bad for the tournament. In fact, I think to some extent it helps interest because there are a lot of people that only watch the NCAA tournament to see these stars because they really only care about where they might go in the draft, and, and they're really more NBA fans than they are college basketball fans. But Mike Krzyzewski having to play the zone, let me tell you something. He, he would never come out of that zone because his guys can't guard man-to-man. Yep. Lottery picks don't want man-to-man. But you can't use the same sort of uh, mental approach as a coach with these guys to keep them engaged as you did 15, 20 years ago. You know, I, I, I almost laughed in the, in the regional semifinals, uh, I think it was Friday night, when they actually slapped the floor playing the zone. I almost laughed out loud when I saw that. <laughs> Duke, Duke, Duke could not play a man-to-man. Mike knew that, and actually when he made the change to go full zone, they did improve defensively, no doubt about it. But the same is true for, for uh, Tom when he's dealing with players like Jaron Jackson. And I'm not saying, again, this is not an indictment on the kid. It's just the nature of the beast that we're dealing with today. These guys know where their future is, and they're going to have limitations on how many times they're going to throw their body on the floor and, and become human floor burns for the common good of our college team. It's just not the same. Yeah. So it's a difficult road for these coaches to deal with. And these are Hall of Fame guys we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, Izzo and Mike are as good as it gets, but their jobs are different than those coaches that know that they've got uh, different types of players. Now, if, by example, Villanova doesn't have lottery picks, but they've got future pros, and look how they share the ball, and look how they work defensively as a team. That's, that's really the difference, in, in my opinion, why Villanova's going to win it all. Tim, I got one more, and this is a tough one. How do you pay the players? How can you break away from Title IX? How do you separate basketball or, let's say, basketball and football, the main money sports, from all the other sports in college? Fellas, I think it's very, I think it's very easy. The, the schools should not be on the hook to pay these players anything. Today's young athletes know how to brand themselves. They can do it through uh, Instagram. They can do it through all forms of social media. They, you know, amateurism's status is the problem. We need to change what amateurism is and go more the Olympic route. And if players, whether they're offensive linemen in football or wide receivers or what, go get you some. Whatever you can do to promote yourself and brand yourself while in college should be absolutely open doors for you because you can't work in the summer these guys are for anyone to say that they have the whole summer off go over to the training facility and see how many of them are actually out of there they're, they're all there okay no matter what the sport if these young men are going to be asked to go and, and uh, 
and show up and, and have their likeness sold uh, at the at the uh, at the local um, uh, fans souvenir shop. They should be they should be getting a percentage of that, and they should have the right to say, you know what, if my likeness is being used this or that way, it, here's here's my uh, uh, my circumstance, and here's what I want for that. And I think the NCAA needs to update its own rules. That's the issue. If we just updated the rules, we wouldn't have a problem. I don't think the schools, other than the full cost of tuition, really should have to worry about this at all. We've already taken the necessary steps to make life easier for the modern-day Internet athlete. But those athletes do deserve more if the market says they should. And I think the market does, especially at the major schools around the country. And if, by the way, you happen to be going to a smaller school, and uh, those are the only schools that were coming after you, I've talked to a lot of those types of athletes, and they're just happy to have books and tuition. Hmm. But I think that's what needs to be done. Let's just have some common sense here, and we can move forward. But right now we've got too many people running to the hills to protect their own butt. And that's the problem we have in intercollegiate athletics. Tim Brando with us for a few minutes. We're on Monday Morning Quarterbacks. Brian Barnhart here with Lauren Tate. You talk about the one-and-dones, Michigan and Loyola certainly are older teams and are, in a sense, they yeah. play together. I just love that matchup. Uh, how about yeah. you? <laughs> I do, too. I can't wait to see it. I'll be leaving for San Antonio Thursday, and uh, I've not missed the final four. I've only missed two since 1981, fellas. I missed the one in uh, Kemper Arena with Danny and the Miracles in 88, and I missed the one in 96 when Patino's team pulled it out against Syracuse uh, in 96. I, I, I just I love the event, and I'll be there, and I can't wait for it. I'll tell you, I think Michigan, to me, uh, I thought when they beat Texas A&M, the winner of that game would likely come out of that bracket and get to the championship game. But Loyola is, fellas, a smaller version of Villanova. The way they share the ball, Ingram and Custer, and, and, and these guys are really legitimate. And I think these two Kansas kids, the Richardson kid, was just off the chart the other day. Uh, those two together, I mean, they play and share the basketball, and they also defend really well. Uh, Michigan's going to have a lot to chew on between now and then, but I think D-Line is one of the great tacticians in our sport. I think he's one of the top four or five college basketball coaches in America and has been for some time. Um, I think their size uh, and strength, uh, Mo Wagner has really gotten away with some poor outings. I think the best is yet to come from Michigan. So uh, I see Michigan prevailing, but it's going to be a whale of a game. Before we let you go, Tim, you did, uh, you've did you done a lot of radio work over the years. Do you mind taking a call? I know you, you're used to doing that. So. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> you've done this a few thousand times. Uh, let's go to go Tim. Ahead, at, caller. Yeah, Tim in Urbana. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Tim, uh, I have two questions. Um, I think we're going to get an eight-team playoff in football. And my second question is the targeting rule. Are they basically taking the hard hit out of football with the shoulder pad, even if you don't? Hit him in the helmet. Um, you know, you got a defensive player that hits an offensive receiver, but I still think uh, hard hits can change the to- a toll uh, way the game's played, and I-, I hope we're not going to touch. Thanks for all right. the games, and I appreciate you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Um, the, the targeting rule is something we all have to live with and understand that moving forward, um, Intercollegiate athletics does not have the financial wherewithal to, you know, pay off um, legal situations like the NFL. And so we we're, we're, we're going to continue to make it 
uh, more about player safety all the time. We're going to become more stringent on it all the time. Now, uh, I think that particularly now since most of the conferences have um, the means to use replay and have not only the guys upstairs in the press box overseeing it, but people back in Chicago in their offices also overseeing it, um, we need to move the game along more quickly. I think the biggest challenge is to – whether it is or isn't targeting, let's come to a determination as quickly as we can so we can get the game moving. That's, that's a concern. But as far as what constitutes targeting, uh, we've got to make it easier, I think, for uh, those that are actually on the field governing the game. The problem is there's no way for anyone upstairs in a booth or anyone in a, uh, in a, in a room in Chicago for the Big Ten or in Birmingham for the SEC there's no way for them to understand whether there was intent for the player to actually, uh, you know, have malice in, in, in his approach to making a tackle, uh, especially in a bang-bang situation uh, in the secondary. Only a white hat, only officials on the field really can make that determination. Now, I know, you know, that brings up that, um, that Pandora's box of, well, okay, now we're going to be – charging the officials with determining judgment on the part of the players, gosh, that seems really um, problematic. But, but I think that's the only way to determine it. Uh, once you've determined, first and foremost, that the player did not lead with his head, he led with his shoulder, uh, but if he makes contact with the head above the shoulders, that still warrants targeting. All right, that's, that's, that's a given. We need to understand that. But, but I think we do need to give, especially with regard to, uh, you know, penalizing a player and taking him off the field, sometimes with, with members of security ushering him out, uh, making, make the player, I think, many times look like a convict. And, and that's just wrong. That's fundamentally wrong. It should not be that penal. we got to clean that up and make it better. That's not in the best interests mm-hmm. of, uh, of the athlete. Um, and, I, and I think that we need to be very careful uh, with that moving forward. Uh, as it relates to the 18, uh, the 18 format, I think we will in my lifetime, fellas, and your lifetimes too, because I'm, I'm sure you're a lot younger than me. I think we will see an 18 playoff, and I think part of the reason we will is financially uh, we just don't, you know, there's a lot of money still out there that's being left on the table. Uh, even though the ratings were very good for last year's national championship game, they could they, they could have been far larger. Imagine if there had been a spot available for UCF last year in the in the college football playoff. The interest that think about what Loyola Marymount has done. Well, not Loyola, Loyola Marymount, Loyola of Chicago. Think about what they've done these last two weeks. Um, that that is a great part of this year's college basketball postseason story. We totally eliminate that now in college football. Even when we had the BCS, Boise had far greater chances to get in the mix than we do now with, with four teams, given the way we govern the postseason and legitimize these teams for possible postseason berths. UCF had no chance this year. All you have to do is look at the, the ratings and the, and the metrics that were delivered to the college football committee. They had no chance. And I don't know how many more teams from the American Conference have to beat uh, legitimate powerhouses in a New Year's Six Bowl game to get them eligibility. Um, 
I think they're worthy of a of a power six pick. I, I really do. They they are clearly the best of the group of five conferences. But but if we had the UCF story that the rest of the country could uh, gravitate to, then I think you're bringing in far more regions of the country. If we're looking to grow college football, you're not going to grow it much more than it already is in the Big Ten or in the SEC. you got to get people that ordinarily would not be engaged to the college game to come to our sport. And the way to do that is have stories like UCF or whoever this year's UCF will be Give them an opportunity to get in. And going to six teams won't get that done. We have to go to eight, I think, to reserve the opportunity for a team from the group of five uh, to get in. But I do think it will happen. It won't be for the good of the game. It will be because they're, they're, they're in need of more cash. And more cash can be made if you have an additional week's games and greater inventories for ESPN. But the, ultimately, that's going to be who determines this, fellas. The people that have the rights from a television standpoint, are going to look at this and say, you know what, we're not delivering uh, the, the ratings for the advertisers that we promised, and we need to be making more money out of this thing because of the great investment we've made. And I think we'll ultimately see a team that's doable, and it's not going to cause any of uh, you know any problems with regard to classes or the crossing overs of semesters. None of that's going to be in play, so why not go ahead and get it done? Hey, Tim, it's been a pleasure having you on today. We've covered a lot of ground, and uh, we'll do this again sometime, okay? I really enjoyed uh, having you on today. Love to do it, and it was a lot of fun. I can't wait to get back to Champagne. I really can't. Thanks, right. Tim. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Yep. Take care. Bye-bye. Have fun in San Antonio. That is Tim Brando, signature voice, college, pro sports. One of my favorites, I know, the last, uh, as I've been in my career and got a chance to know people like that, uh, just great to uh, visit with someone like that. You know, when they do a lot of play-by-play and that sort of thing, they can't expand the way he did for us today. Yeah. That's great. That's, That's great stuff. stuff. All right, Michael Kaiser has news headlines. We've got a lot to get to in our last half hour. We'll do that next.